At RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like Him. We are committed to being gospel-focused and motivated while we are biblically holistic and humble. As a church family, we want to be in and in the community while being a place that is multi and next generational. As we reflect Jesus in our words and actions, we are united in and honoring diversity. And in all of this, we will prioritize relational and missional discipleship. As we look to the next generation, we have a loving, selfless, always present, and ever caring example in Jesus. Let's be that in our community. All right. Good morning, everybody. Everybody doing okay today? Excellent. Beautiful day here in mid-Michigan. Any uh, country music fans here? Anybody a country music fan? I uh, must confess I know absolutely nothing about country music. Uh, Although I've heard if you play country music backward that your girl, your dog, and your truck will all come back to you. I've heard that. I'm not sure if that's true or not. Uh, Country music star Eric Church was in the news recently. I'll I'll tell you more about that in a minute, but I had no idea how wildly popular Eric Church was. Um, He has performed over 400 live concerts in front of nearly 4 million people, generating over $250 million in revenue. He has over a million Instagram followers. Thousands of these people pay $35 a year to be part of his fan club, which is called his choir. You get it? Church choir. Very clever. Um, He's on this current uh, tour called Gather Together. It's nine months. It's kind of this post-COVID, let's gather together. Uh, Was originally scheduled to have 55 stops But one of those did not happen, which is why he found himself in the news. Last Saturday night, Eric Church was scheduled to perform in front of 40,000 people in the Alamo Dome, which is in San Antonio. But he canceled the show. He canceled the show so he could attend the NCAA Final Four basketball game between Duke and North Carolina in New Orleans. Um, He grew up in North Carolina. He's been a North Carolina basketball fan his whole life. His second album is called Carolina. So he cares about this a lot. So he gave the venue and the ticket holders full refunds, and he forfeited well over a million dollars in revenue so he could go watch his beloved Tar Heel basketball team. And social media, of course, blew up over this. Uh, many people were, were applauding him. A lot of people just thought it was funny. And he got a lot of criticism. Let's just suffice to say this, the Eric Church choir was not happy uh, with Eric Church. Uh, a couple of examples. This person said, one year of waiting. I got a hotel rental dinner reservation. Not to mention I flew my parents into town to watch the kids for the weekend. That's a pretty big investment. And I, Jessup down here said, I will never buy Eric Church tickets, music, or anything ever again. Hashtag Eric Church, you are dead to me. 
Uh, and so, <laughs> wow, I, Jessup, is not happy. Yeah, maybe take that down. That feels a little strong to me uh, at this point. In fact, the, the backlash was so strong a few days after the cancellation, Eric Church announced he was going to be performing a free concert for everyone who had had tickets to the show. I'm not sure if I, Jessup, will be attending, uh, but a smart move on his part since, you know, he's dead to her, um, I guess probably. The reason this uh, story caught my attention is because it's a story about following. Not following in the sense that you're merely walking behind someone or behind them in your car, but following in the sense that you're in pursuit of someone or something. Even to the point where maybe you're trying to be like that someone or something. It's the difference between the police car that just happens to be behind you and the one that makes the U-turn in order to pursue you, right? Those are two very different things. Eric Church has a following, the church choir. Those are people who find out where he's going to be and then they change the course of their lives and invest a lot in many cases, the needed time and effort and money to be where he is. North Carolina basketball has a following. Their, their fans are called the Tar Pit, right? The Tar Heel following. And Eric Church is part of that following. He knew where they were going to be. And so he completely changed his plans. He went from, I'm going to be doing this concert in San Antonio. I'm going to New Orleans instead. And I'm going to sacrifice time and a lot of money. And in his case, his reputation took a hit, right, in order to be there. And this is common in the world of sports. That's kind of why I even found out about this, because it overlapped. I, I follow sports things. Um, last week, Tiger Woods was deciding if he was going to play in the Masters. And there was a Twitter account called the Tiger Tracker that followed his steps everywhere. Literally was showing his flight pattern of his private jet so that his followers could know where he was at all times. Soccer star Cristiano Ronaldo has 415 million Instagram followers. And it's not just sports. People follow all kinds of other people or ideologies. Some people follow science. Other people have specific authors or thought leaders. The Joe Rogan experience has 11 million podcast listeners. And so the political left has a following. The political right has a following. And it's not just well-known people, right? There's like micro followings, like girls and guys at every local high school around our country have little followings, you know what I mean? And, and so the question that we want to look at today is is who or what do you follow? If you're not sure, the easiest way to find out is just to ask the people closest to you. They can tell you. It's that thing you talk about all the time. It's where you invest your time, your effort, your money. It's where you turn to for comfort. It's what you get animated about, right? I watched that Duke, North Carolina Final Four game, and that was like a full-on worship service, that thing, man. 
I mean, worship is an expression of honor or reverence. And that's what fans, fans is short for fanatics, right? That's what we do at these sporting events. Everyone in this crowd was dressed in blue and they were screaming and their eyes were closed and their arms were in the air and it was just full engagement the whole time. They said the crowd of 70,000 people stood for the entire game. When the game ended, half the people were celebrating wildly and dancing. And of course, the other half were weeping and mourning. That's worship. You'll see that if you watch Tiger Woods on the final broadcast here day today of the Masters. Who or what do you, do you follow? Today, I want to make the case that there is nothing or no one more worthy of your worship, no better ideology or person for you to follow than Jesus Christ, the son of God. Now in the Bible, dedicated followers of Jesus were called his disciples, which is why the sixth and final core value that we're going to talk about here today that we're committed to at Riverview is discipleship. Specifically, we are committed to relational and missional discipleship. Here's our full statement. Discipleship is the lifelong journey of being changed by following and becoming more like Jesus. This messy and grace-driven process happens best through the mutual sharing of our lives with the great commandment. The great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. With the great commandment at its heart and the great commission, which we'll talk about here in a moment, as its trajectory. Now, the model of discipleship that we see in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, was the rabbinic model that was very common in the Jewish culture around the time that Jesus lived. In the gospels, it's clear that Jesus was seen as a rabbi. The disciples refer to him as rabbi. Nicodemus does. Mary Magdalene does. It was very common for him to be called by that title. Rabbi literally means master teacher. Sort of like Yoda is the Jedi master for you Star Wars followers. I know less about Star Wars than I do about country music. In today's Jewish world, a, a rabbi is an official uh, title. It's like an office, like a pastor or a priest. But, but that wasn't the case in the time of Jesus. It was more of an informal term used just when the community recognized we're in the presence of a master teacher, Right? And the rabbis of Jesus' day uh, had followers, multiple followers called Talmidim. Uh, singular would be a Talmid, right? Although they would never just have one. They always had many people. Talmid means scholar. And that's the word that is used when Jesus talks about disciples. He's using the word Talmid or Talmidim. Um, several years ago, this is more than 20 years ago now, um, I um, visited Israel for the first time. And we were in Jerusalem, um, the heart of Jerusalem, right by the, the Wailing Wall, if you're familiar with that area. And um, we were um, just learning and, 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 and touring and everything. And um, the guy who was leading our trip uh, pointed out there was this uh, man who came coming, it was coming towards us. And it was a, 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 a guy that was a rabbi in their culture. Um, he had the tefillim, the curly hair and the dress and everything. And, and you could see he had, the, the, he had a box with the, the Torah on his forehead and on his chest. And there were eight to 10 kids right with him, 
like 10 year old kids. And when I say right with him, they were all like touching him at the same time. And he was everywhere he would go and they were all talking all at the same time and asking him questions. And he was pointing and they were all, and it was just this the whole way. And that was, that's what we're talking about here. It's this idea of withness that the, 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 the Talmi deem, uh, they become, uh, they grow through their time together with the rabbi. A Talmud is not primarily a student or an apprentice, although there are elements of those things in being a Talmud. It was said that it was not enough for a Talmud to merely know what the rabbi knows. The goal of the Talmud is to become who the rabbi is. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 25, Jesus said, it is enough for a disciple, that's a Talmud, to become like his teacher, like the rabbi. And so what I want to do today is just look at the discipleship strategy and life of Jesus through the eyes of Matthew, who was one of Jesus's disciples, one of his Talmudim, actually one of the very first ones, and then authored the gospel of Matthew, which sort of kind of contains one of these accounts uh, of Jesus's life. If you, if you have your Bible, we're going to start in Matthew chapter uh, four, uh, starting in verse 17. We will also have the verses on the screen, or you can tap and flip your way through your device that way as well. Uh, but verse 17 says this, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and they followed Jesus. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Verse 23, now Jesus began to go all over Galilee with these disciples, these Talmudin with him, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now there's so much happening here. Let's work our way back through it. The first kind of key phrase there that Jesus says several times is follow me. The, the, the Hebrew word there is lechacharai, which just means come and walk after me, right? It's not simply walk behind me. It's be near to me so that you can learn from me and imitate me. Be around me. And when Jesus says, follow me to his disciples, what's he really saying? I think you can be like me. I believe in you. You have potential. Come, spend your life with me. Learn, grow, become like me. Then he says, you're going to fish for people. If you choose to follow me, 
the course of your lives is going to be completely different. They woke up that day thinking we're with Zebedee, our dad, and we're doing what we've always done. We're learning the fishing trade. This is our life. There wasn't a lot of deviation in their culture. Dad's a fisherman. You learn to fish. You find your gal. You go ahead. This is your family. You all it's, you live in community, all that kind of a thing. There was no thought ever of, well, maybe we ought to go over here. It was just the way. And now here comes Jesus and says, your complete life's mission, if you say yes to this, follow me, is going to be different. You woke up today as fishermen and you're gonna go to sleep tonight as my disciples, my ambassadors, my followers. And then the word that really jumped out at me was that word immediately. Immediately they left their nets. Come follow me. Okay, we're going this way. I mean, it's like James and John left their dad standing in the boat, right? Jesus' reputation was already out in front of him. Some of you are like, I'd do that, right? Now, most scholars believe the early disciples were, were teenagers. Imagine you're out playing golf with your teenage daughters, right? And Tiger Woods hops over the fence and joins your group. And then after a few holes, he says, okay, I think these girls have real potential. And he invites them to come learn at his golf academy for the next three years, Right? I mean, you're just going, this is insane. This is crazy. This is the master golfer, right? How do you respond? What an honor for Zebedee to have the great rabbi Jesus pick his two sons as his followers. They, they, they go. They're like, dad, we got to do this. They drop their nets. They leave everything and everyone behind and they follow Jesus. What are you being asked to leave behind in order to follow Jesus more closely. For me, this has been kind of a two-part process. When I first heard the gospel, the message about Jesus, and I was invited to follow Jesus, I didn't honestly feel like I was leaving very much behind at all. I was at rock bottom before I met Jesus, and so following him felt like a lifeline. The initial choice to follow him, that was a thrill for me. I mean, it just changed my life so dramatically. I went from having really no purpose, no peace. I was just such a, a miserable person. And he just gave me a completely new trajectory in my life. And at the same time, since then, uh, it feels to me like following Jesus involves in some way, like a re-choosing every day to be fully devoted to him, right? As we said earlier, discipleship is a messy and grace-driven lifelong journey that involves dropping our nets over and over and over again in order to follow him more closely. I've been thinking about that a lot this week. Some little thing will happen and it's sort of this little crossroads of am I gonna follow, am I gonna be seduced by the world? Am I gonna follow something or someone else over here? Or am I gonna commit to doing what I know would be more, it's like drop your nets, James. Drop your nets, James. And that's why the question we asked earlier is so important. Who or what are you following? Often we're not becoming more like Jesus because we're following someone or something else with our best time and our best effort. And Jesus was very clear that that's not what he's asking for. Right? He's not wanting people to say, hey, I'm kind of pro-Jesus. 
right? I, I'm, I'm, I believe in him kind of for the salvation piece, and, but I'm going to be over here just kind of living my life the way. That's not what he said. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said to his disciples, this is verse 24, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what benefit will it, uh, what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? Matthew 6, 24, Ma- uh, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters since he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Isn't that interesting? And so here at RIV, we talk about knowing and enjoying Jesus. We invite everyone to do that. And that's difficult to do when you spend most of your time knowing and enjoying someone or something else. It's a bit like in a marriage. You want to know and enjoy your husband or your wife, which would be incredibly difficult if that person were spending most of their time pursuing other men and women, right? That doesn't work that way. Jesus is appropriately jealous for our allegiance. The first group of disciples, it's interesting. This first invitation where they just left and went, it was the beginning of like a three-year field trip, right? There's no in-school classroom for these disciple rabbi thing. They are always out in the field together. They lived out relational and missional discipleship That's the core value that we're talking about today by following Jesus. That was their daily rhythm. We talked about that a few weeks ago. In community, in the community. That's what they did. Jesus goes, right? That's what it said here. Jesus began to go all over Galilee, right? They go with him. Jesus teaches. Okay, we're gonna take notes and ask him a bunch of questions and then he's gonna like say some riddles and mysterious things that we don't understand, but we're trying to pick up like, right, what it means to follow. He's talking parables. Jesus heals someone or he feeds a group of people. It talks about disease and sickness. He was doing all this stuff. He walks around on top of the water, right? And we thank God that we have been chosen to follow the single most influential and amazing person ever to walk the face of the earth. Can you imagine how thrilling that must have been for those guys every single day? What's Jesus going to do now? What's he gonna say? These gospel accounts are so inspiring. In fact, if you're looking for a practical step that you can take to follow more closely after Jesus, read the gospels. I'm in a Bible discussion group, and um, we have been, with a few friends here at Riverview, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount for these past five or six weeks, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it has been really challenging and really interesting and really encouraging for us in our walk with Jesus. Pick one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Mark's the shortest one, if you want to go that direction, right? Luke or John, and see if you can read through it, the whole thing, just read it through between now and Easter Sunday. The last part is a really good ramp up. It talks about sort of that Easter piece, right? 
And that's the, the way this, this road trip, this field trip, this three-year odyssey the disciples had with Jesus, it culminated in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, which we commemorate on Easter Sunday. Can you imagine the emotional roller coaster this must have been for the disciples? The rabbi they had followed for three years was arrested. He was put on trial. He was beaten, and then he was publicly executed on the cross. The confusion and devastation and sense of hopelessness that they must have felt. And then Sunday, Jesus is alive. And the disciples are ready. They're ready to run through a brick wall to proclaim his name to as many people as they possibly. They are going to follow Jesus anywhere, right? And Jesus goes, okay, guys. That's great. Um, But there's one catch. I'm not going to be here with you. I'm going back to my dad. It's okay. You're ready. You can do this. Three years with me. That's all you needed. And I'm sure they were like, "Um, don't you think it's a little early for that, Jesus? I mean, Andrew hasn't started shaving yet. Uh, John doesn't have a driver's license. Can you just stick around for maybe two or 13 more years? You know what I mean? And Here's how the disciple Matthew remembered their, their final conversation. Here's the very last few verses of Matthew's gospel, uh, chapter 28, verse 16. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, some, or they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me. In heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the great commission. Again, so much happening here. Let's work our way back through it. It says, They worshiped, but some doubted. Isn't that a fantastic description of discipleship? We stumble back and forth between worship and doubt, right? We, we worship, we express our honor and reverence for Jesus, and then we go out and try to live. And when we try to love like Jesus, there's this pause, this hesitation. We're seduced by the world around us. We're tempted to try to gain the world like he talked about there in that earlier verse, rather than follow Jesus. Think about that. They're doubting, even though they just saw Jesus rise from the dead. If the disciples had doubt after watching their dead leader come to life, how much more will we be prone to experience doubt? It's this, this worship and some doubted. And then it says all authority. Jesus says every bit of authority in heaven and on earth. When it comes to who or what we follow, we have a lot of choices. No one but Jesus. How about we choose to follow the Savior Jesus who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Then he said, go. Go. To be a disciple of Jesus means to be on mission for Jesus. We can't stay still. 
remain where we are and expect to make disciples of all the nations. It doesn't work that way. We need to be willing not only to go to people, but to invite them to follow us as we follow Jesus, as we stumble in our pursuit to love like Jesus. Come with me and we'll stumble through this thing together. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1. He says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Isn't that interesting? Paul's like, don't, don't try to be like me, but I'm trying to be like Jesus. And so as much as I'm doing that, I invite you to come along with me. Who can you be with to help you become more like Jesus? Who can you invite to be with you to help them become more like Jesus? Paul spent his entire life going to people calling them to repentance, preaching the gospel, and then asking them, why don't you come with me now and we'll go and we'll tell even more people. And then they will. And then, and then, and then. And then Jesus said, I am with you always. Think about that. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should be walking with like a swag in our step. We should just be strutting like, man, the guy we're following it's not some celebrity up on a stage singing or down on a court dribbling a ball who sees a bunch of nameless, faceless fans in the crowd. No, 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 no. Our rabbi is the one with all authority. He is the one who, is the, who, who, who made all of the other people everyone else is following. <laughs> Jesus is the savior who conquered death on our behalf. He says, I am with you always, right? I love that. And so let me ask you again, who or what do you follow? If you haven't yet decided to follow Jesus, we're so glad that you're here today. We want to invite you to do that at Riverview, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like him. My question is, what are you waiting for? This person or ideology or this other thing that you've decided to follow instead of Jesus, I wonder how that's working for you. Does it have all authority? Is it gonna be with you through the, the inevitable trials and challenges? What's gonna happen in terms of your relationship with that person or thing after you die? Does it promise to be with you always? Now, if you already know and you are a sincere follower of Jesus, I, I bless God for that. That's an amazing thing. That's by his doing, by his grace. And you might leave here with a, maybe a renewed sense of passion or commitment. Maybe you're thinking, okay, I need to really double down on my intent and effort to stay close to Jesus so I can become more like him. This can feel challenging, I think, especially when we can't really see Jesus. Um, we, he's not here with us in person. Those early disciples, I mean, they were like right next to him. They could feel it. They could see it, right? So how can we better know Jesus so that we can follow and enjoy him today? We'll look at three thoughts and then we'll move on with some more time of worship and a time of communion together. The first is this. We talked about this earlier. We find Jesus in the Bible. If you choose the Gospel of John as the one you're going to read this week out of the four, uh, both of you who choose that, uh, John makes the case in the Gospel of John that we find Jesus 
in his word. John 1.14 says the word right here, God's word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John 5.39 says, this is Jesus talking, you pour over the scriptures because you think that you have eternal life in them and yet they testify about me, says Jesus. And then John 17.17, Jesus says, sanctify, sanctify means to grow in holiness, sanctify them, my saints, my followers, by the truth. Your word, he's praying to the Father, your word is truth. The Bible is the book form of Jesus Christ. It was written by Jesus, about Jesus. Jesus lived the text so that people can know and enjoy Jesus. It says in those verses, the Bible is the truth. And then Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so it's just math, right? If the Bible is truth and Jesus is truth, then either somebody's wrong or Jesus is the Bible, right? It's this, it's that figures out that way, right? It's one of those if thens. What will your plan be to find Jesus in his word this week? Maybe you'll, you'll, you'll read a gospel. Maybe you'll join a Bible discussion. Maybe you'll listen to God's word as you're on a road trip or driving in the car or while you're working out or maybe whatever it might be. What will prevent you from doing a deep dive in the Bible, even in the next couple of days. Secondly, how can we better know Jesus? We remember that his spirit lives inside of every believer, right? In John 14, 16, uh, Jesus said, I will ask the father. He will give you another counselor. That's the Holy Spirit to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. You notice how that concept of truth is just embedded in this whole discipleship process. He says the world is unable to receive the Holy Spirit because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live too. We talked about that a few months ago in our Apostles' Creed series. Remember, we talked about the snowblower and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That was the sermon. Go back and take a listen to that one. But the Holy Spirit is a person. It's the person of God living inside every follower of Jesus to guide them into truth. And so Jesus ascended and, and went to be with his dad, but the Holy Spirit descended and moved in in Acts 2 inside of Every single believer, when Jesus says, I am with you always, he literally means that. <laughs> always. And then thirdly, how can we better know Jesus so we can enjoy and follow him today? You're part of his body. The church is the body of Jesus Christ. Paul's challenge to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 4 Speaking the truth in love, interesting again how truth is so much embedded in this process. Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. 
right? And so the key words in this passage are truth and love and grow and body and supporting and building. It's this process working with Christ as the head of it all. Christ is the head of the body. We need each other. We're part of each other. This discipleship process is a mutual thing for us as followers of Jesus. It's not something that many people can navigate by themselves. I've never really known anybody who's done that successfully. Together, we represent the truth and love of Christ as a body of believers growing together as disciples. And so you've got to find your way into a small version of that, a biblical community. We are committed here at Riverview to relational and missional discipleship, the lifelong journey of being changed by following and becoming more like Jesus. That means we follow Jesus as closely as we can together out into the world to proclaim the truth of Jesus by loving the way Jesus loved. As it says in the great commandment, may we together pursue Christ and Christ alone with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Amen. So we're going to move into a time of further worship through taking communion together, uh, which feels really appropriate in sort of just this idea of our mutual responsibility to, to build each other up as disciples of Jesus and singing as well uh, here over the next few minutes. Before we uh, move together into that space, uh, we have a short video uh, of some of our Riverview family uh, talking about the, their experience with disciples and the impact uh, that that has had on their lives. It's hard to put into words the magnitude of feeling like I had a family who cared about me for who I was and who was fighting for me spiritually and emotionally. We started coming to our house because the dorms didn't serve um, Sunday dinner. Mm -hmm. And so we had Sunday dinner at our house with... I don't know, 10 to 40 people. <laughs> we had five little kids. You would come into the middle of the chaos. I'd stand on one side of the bed. You'd stand on the other. We folded loads and loads of laundry or just did whatever had to be done while talking because I couldn't, you know, put my kids in a room by themselves. That taught me so much, coming over and listening to you and how you parented has truly changed my life and how I parent, my relationship with my husband, my relationship with the Lord. That was a treasure. For me too. And me too. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then Anne-Marie lived with us. Yeah. You would always just open up the floor to just like talk and get to know me, you know? It was, it was so easy to like that's great be friends and, and disciple each other mm -hmm. you know I was able to see the fruit of Jesus through you of being like it's okay to be honest and it's okay to be real and authentic and people won't get mad at you or tell you that like your feelings aren't valid like you care and you love me and you want me to be honest it was always like I accept you and I love you first 
Which I think is exactly what Jesus does to us. Yeah. I love you and I accept you and I understand you're sinful and I still want you and I still want to know you and care about you and love you. So you have like this authenticity that you allow other people to bring to you to then change the relationship to be really fruitful and truthful and in growing together because that's what that's who you are. That's who that's who God has made you, you know. Is this authentic person that just loves him so much that wants other people to feel loved by him. It takes the pressure off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for it to be um for you to see the Lord and what he's done and how he's changed our lives. And so then you can go and share that with others. And since the example is Jesus, then it's okay to make mistakes in front of one another. You know, we can change together too. And then, you know, Jesus covers all. All multitude of sins, yeah. So indeed it is stumbling. <laughs> That's a relationship, is stepping out on a branch that you think might crack. That's friendship is being vulnerable and putting yourself out there. God made us to be in community together, to share our lives, the good and the bad. It's the, right, the suffering that you go through this so that you can teach someone else. Learning from those mistakes, sharing my ugly. Anita, you would pour wisdom into that and turn it around and I'd be able to see God in that ugly and see him working for the good in it. And I feel like I learned the same things. Like I was able to see how you did your real authentic life. You invited me into that. And so like I could see how you pursued Jesus to be more like him through you. Yeah, it's so clear to me that we can't do it alone. Mm -hmm. Because it's those moments that are so, that have locked into my brain with community and with family that are so encouraging. Being able to talk with other people about the Bible and dive in, um, hear your thoughts and the different, what you get from different verses, that gets me excited. And I can't do that without you guys. I can't do that without community. I really feel like you should, you know, have somebody older than you, someone your age, and then be pouring into someone who's younger. You would come over and I'd be so excited saying, look, you taught me all these things. And look, I get to do them with Anne-Marie. And then you would say, right, because someone taught me. I lived with another family. That is incredible to me that it's just the same generation after generation passing this on. Because it was so new to me in college. It was brand new to see a family focus solely on the word and then loving God and loving others. You saw that from Anita, but then I saw that from you. It is the learning back because you would encourage me so much. It is like that full circle of like, you know, we learn and then we share. Mm-hmm.